Welcome to the Crossroads of Culture and Christianity. I am your host, Jacob Jellison, joined as always by my co-host, Aaron Hoth. Today, we want to continue the discussion that we started a couple weeks ago as we talk about the moral aspect of God's existence. We want to talk about the revelatory aspect of the moral law. And so that's what we're going to take a few minutes and dive into today. So we talked a lot about what we call the natural law, which is God's law in our heart. And uh, we talked about the idea that the concept of right and wrong, there are some things that we ought to do, some things we ought not do. It's just kind of built within us. We all live as though it's there um, and as though we're living within a framework of right and wrong. But that doesn't go far enough. It's good. It's there. But when you're talking about the law of God, the moral law, there is, I mean, you can't help it. It's its not, he never intended to just give us the basics that we have written within our heart. Right. There's an aspect of moral law where, at least when it comes to Christian morality, it's not just what's revealed within our heart, what we kind of know intuitively is right and wrong, but it's actually revealed. There's a revelation aspect of it. And so God reveals right and wrong. And there's the, the, the clearest revelation he's given us of right and wrong doesn't necessarily come from our heart as far as or within us, you know, intuitively. But the clearest revelation of right and wrong is found within the word of God. Right. So if you want to know how God wants you to live intuitively with our heart, he's written his law. We talked about Romans 2 on a previous episode where it's even the heathen have the law of God written upon their hearts. Mm-hmm. And so they have this, this idea that there's right and wrong, and they have a basic idea of what some things are that are right and wrong just built within them because God's created us that way. But that points us back to the creator and in turn to his word, which he has revealed to us. Right. And so if you want the clearest idea of how God wants us to live, you're going to have to go to his word. You can't just stick with what makes sense to you, what you can logically come up with. And that's what I think in our culture, a lot of people have trouble with is the idea that the, that Christian morality goes beyond what you can just merely come up with logically out of your mind. You know, there, there are some things that we just, we can intuitively kind of know or even figure out this is wrong, this is right, but Christian morality goes beyond that. Right. And so there are some issues, like, for instance, the issue of marriage, the defining of marriage. It's, well, there, there's some logical, you know, things about the Christian institution of marriage, and, and we could talk about those, but the clearest instruction and guidelines for marriage is found in the word of God. Right. And so when you get on moral issues like homosexuality, you know, well, why can't two people that love each other marry each other? Well, 
I actually happen to believe that Jesus is the son of God and I love him. He's my savior. And he gave us some teachings about this. And so, so it's, it's not enough for me just to stick with, you know, my logical thinking and what I can intuitively figure out. But Christian morality goes further than just the basics that's written on our heart, this basic concept of right and wrong and some basics that are right and wrong, mm-hmm. just basic guidelines. But Christian morality goes to the clear teachings and guidelines in the word of God. And if you cut that out, your your morality is going to fall far short of where it ought to. This revelatory aspect, it's and then it goes, it's not just going to be on the basic moral issues like homosexuality, you know, where for the skeptical person, the person who's not a Christian, sometimes they're going to have trouble understanding some of the positions we hold simply because they're going just based off what's in their heart. Yeah. They're not, they've not embraced the word of God, his revelation that he's given to mankind. Right. Um, and, and, or his fuller revelation, we might say some theologians refer to the scripture as special revelation and what we intuitively know that's going to be more like natural revelation. And so it's naturally and then special revelation, the word of God. And so the skeptic hasn't embraced the word of God. So there are some moral issues that the positions we hold as Christians, it's not going to make sense to them because we have a piece of, uh, uh, of material evidence that shapes our thinking that they don't have Yeah, me and the skeptic. We share in common God's law written on our hearts. Mm-hmm. We share that in common. What we don't share in common is the word of God. Right. I've embraced that. That shaped my thinking. That hasn't shaped his thinking yet. Yeah. So to just, you know, talk about some of the moral issues we hold and and get into these discussions with unbelievers about them, uh, some of the positions I hold and, and I'm I'm not ashamed of it. There's nothing, you know, it's he has things that shaped his way of thinking. I have things that shaped my way of thinking. And the word of God for the child of God has to shape their way of thinking. And yeah. so on these moral issues, what shaped my thinking on the institution of marriage or what other, whatever other moral issue we want to discuss, the word of God has shaped my thinking. And so it goes not against that moral law that's intuitively known that's written on our heart, but it goes above and beyond that yeah, and has further guidelines. Right. And I think that's important to bring out because they call it progressive Christianity, but that type of mentality that you can go outside of the word of God and establish um, your own ideology of what is right and what is wrong is actually creeping into some institutions that call themselves part of the church. Uh, progressive Christianity is one of those. I've actually heard, I, I heard a uh, preacher tell me one time, a, a man I know personally said that he was counseling someone and he, he uh, slid a Bible across to him and they were, they were saying, I don't, I don't remember the, all the details, but they were saying, you know, I, I see things this way. This is how I see things. And he slid the Bible across to him and he said, well, you show me in there where, this is at. And uh, they slid it back and they said, it doesn't matter what that says. And that's a scary thing because that's what you're talking about. That's you go to Romans chapter one. And this is a point that I wanted to bring out. You go to Romans chapter one, you have 
the Bible telling us clearly that even the heathen can tell there's a testimony in creation that God exists. Right. So we can tell just by looking around us, but that only goes so far. That's true. That's the reason why we need a written revelation is because me seeing a tree and knowing there must be a creator doesn't tell me how I ought to live my life. Right. It just tells me that there's some divine force out there. If you'll let me put it that way, obviously I don't believe, you know, occultish like I don't believe that there's a cosmic force or you know, I believe, I believe it's God, but there's some force out there that has created this and made it all work. Um, but it doesn't tell me anything about who he is. It doesn't tell me anything about his expectations for me. All it tells me is that he's, he's creative and it tells me that he set all things in order. That's all it tells me. And that's kind of what Romans chapter one is dealing with. You get down to verse, uh, verses 18 through 24 in that area. Uh, it's basically talking about that there's a concept that they can see, you know, it testifies that there is a God based upon creation, but it doesn't really tell you anything about who he is. And so that's why you need the written revelation. And that's why it's so important that we go back to the word of God and establish everything that we believe, all of our conduct, everything, every aspect of our lives off the word of God, because that is the only thing that is set. It's the only thing that is fixed. It's the only thing that we can go back to and establish because if you move outside of that, then as we talked about last week, you know, your mentality, your morality, things like that become entirely subjective. You're just every man for himself. Right. And this idea that, you know, we can shape our morality outside of the word of God. So you mentioned Romans chapter one, talking about, you know, from creation, we have this idea of God, his divine power, right? Godhead. And and so you've got this idea of the power of God, his creative ability from creation that all of it screams and testifies that there must be a God, yeah. a creator of all of this, but it doesn't go far enough, right? It It's, it doesn't actually take us to him. It's, we have this idea that there must be somebody out there. And, and honestly, when you look at a lot of the religions of the world, well, pretty much every religion of the world, excepting Christianity, uh, Buddhism is more of an atheistic religion. It is. Yeah. You know, but a lot of the other religions, whether it's tribal religions or major world religions, predominantly they carry the idea that somehow there's a God out there and, and coupling that, you know, creation testifying that there's a creator out there, coupling that with the written law in our heart, mm-hmm. the moral argument, those two coming together, these religions and that have, you know, risen up, whether it's, you know, the, the Canaanite religions back in the old Testament, some of the different religious groups there, or even modern ones, uh, they come up with the idea that there's a God and then coupling that with the law written on their heart, the idea that somehow we've not lived up to his standard. He's angry with us so far. They're on the right track, right? Um, there needs to be some kind of a sacrifice. He needs to be appeased somehow. Mm-hmm. And uh, his so far again, they're on the right track. It's, but what it does not do, it doesn't, they'll never figure out the gospel. Right. That's God revealing himself in, in humanity, revealing himself in human history. Uh, they never can get far enough. And 
And the moral law is just like that. It never gets you far enough. It It's a pointer. It points back to there's a way to live. Yeah. But in God's word, he's going to give us the clearest revelation of how he wants us to live. And I I think you kind of tied it to, you, you took it not so much to the world, but to the church and connected it to the idea of, us in the church, we have to ground our morality within God's word. Absolutely. And, you know, I've there's a thought that I want to just touch on that it sometimes irks me just a little bit. Uh, and that's the idea. And I, I'm sure you've heard different individuals say something similar to this. But the idea is so sometimes we'll be talking about different issues about how God expects us to live our lives, mm-hmm. you know. And someone will say, well, I've... I've just not been convicted of that yet. Yeah. You know, I just, and honestly, if it's in God's word, there, there there's one response I'm going to give, but I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And you can come back and, and let me know what you think. But one response I kind of want to give, and I don't like it is, well, if it's in the word of God, it doesn't matter whether you've been convicted or not. Yeah. You know, but I don't like that response because if it's in God's word, you have been convicted of it. Right. I I think sometimes we boil conviction down to just an emotion. Yeah. And and I don't want to confuse the issue. Conviction certainly affects our emotions. Mm-hmm. But I don't think our emotional response is conviction. Right. So I think then we need to talk about the means that the Holy Ghost uses to convict. What are some of the means? Well, at least one of the means he uses to convict, he, for instance, with the world, he's going to use the church. Yeah. He's going to operate through the church. And as we preach the gospel to the world and live the gospel before them, he's going to convict them. Yeah, absolutely. The church. Another medium he's going to use is the word of God. Yeah. So, and, and and then, of course, there's his his still small voice within us. So these are just different means that he uses to convict us. Yeah. And regardless of how you feel about an issue, that has no bearing on whether the Holy Ghost has convicted about it. Mm-hmm. If it's in the word of God, his word convicts you. Yeah. Well, Paul, in Romans chapter 7, verse number 7 he makes this statement, and I thought it was kind of fitting to what we're talking about. Uh, but Paul said this. He said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. And then he goes on, and I found this interesting because it kind of just supports what you're saying. He said, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Notice, I do believe that the Spirit is an agent in conviction. Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I, the Spirit of God does quicken our hearts. He does, you know, he teaches us, guides us, leads us, you know, and he, he is an agent in conviction. But Paul said, he didn't say if it had not been for that guilty feeling that I feel I had not, I wouldn't have known what coveting was. He, that's not what he said. He said, I had not known lust except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. And what he's referring to when he refers to the law every single time is he's referring to the word of God. And so Paul is basically saying virtually the same thing that you said. He's saying that if it was not for the written revelation, the the revealed word of God that I have, I wouldn't have really been familiar with this concept of 
lust or coveting. Not that the spirit of God, again, it, the spirit of God is a, is an agent in conviction. I do believe sure. that there are times that he does make us feel guilty about things and he does play. I don't, I don't like to use that terminology, but for lack of a better way of saying it, play on our emotions in the sense of, you know, making us feel a certain way about something so that he might correct it. I do believe that, but that's not all that conviction is. Like you said, and Paul, that's, virtually what Paul is saying there in that verse. It was the law has revealed this to me. And so now I know I ought to live this way. Right. He can speak when you're dealing with conviction and, and again, the word of God, it's not that we're cutting the Holy ghost out and no. saying, are you convicted by the word of God or by the spirit? It's the word of God is what does Paul call it in Ephesians? It's the sword of the spirit. Exactly. So it's, it's still the spirit of God convicting. Mm-hmm. He's he's the agent, right? But it's this is the means exactly. So so he can use a number of different means. He can use the word of God. He can use the church as they're declaring God's word to the world. He can just speak in a still small voice in someone's heart. You yeah. know, speak to them and and deal with them that way. And and there will be some. I mean, when the Holy Ghost begins to convict it does affect us sure and there will be some emotional response the emotional response will vary uh to conviction i mean there are some who resist and get angry Mm -hmm. there are some who you know with with the along with the conviction is the feeling of remorse and guilt you know and but again, even the even the guilt, the feeling of guilt, that's not conviction itself. It right. accompanies conviction. Right. Um, but you, you don't want to boil down conviction and guilt into the uh, two identical things. That they're they're connected deeply, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but they're not equivalent things. And so so the word of God, it's not that we're cutting the spirit out and saying, Does the Holy Ghost convict you or does the word of God convict you? It's right the spirit uses the word to convict us, yeah. you know, and this is the sword of the spirit. He wields it and affects, brings, brings an effect within our life. And when you begin to look at it also, not only does he use it, but it's not just some tool that he uses. He's found this and he uses it, but it was holy men of God who spake as they were moved by the Holy ghost, right? you know? And so, so it's not just, the sword of the spirit because he uses it. It's the sword of the spirit because it came from him. Yeah. Whenever we find something in the word of God then, and that convicts us this, that's why I find that statement fascinating. Well, I've, I've just not been convicted of that. Well, if it's in the word of God, he's convicted us of it. Right. Whether we feel like we want to obey it or not is another thing. Whether we feel like we want to embrace it or not, that's another matter. Mm-hmm. But if it's in the word of God, you don't have to have a special feeling about it. Right. It's, it's, there are some things that we do, you know, we try the spirits to see, you know, whether they are of God. Um, but we don't ever test out the word of God itself to see whether it's for our lives or not. Um, and so there's a, when it comes to the word of God, you don't sit around and say, well, how do we feel about this passage? Or how do we feel about this verse? What about this verse that talks about how I ought to talk and speak and what my speech ought to be like? Do I, I don't know if I feel convicted about that. Right. No, if it's in the word of God, we've been convicted of it. It's now 
The question is, what's our response to his conviction through his word That's and right. how he wants us to live? What about a, how he tells us to dress and how he tells us to behave and, and how he tells us to worship? And I mean, the list goes on and on. There are things within God's word, and if it's in his word, it really doesn't matter how the 21st century Western church feels about the issue. Right. It's, it's, it's in the word of God and we can't change that. That's right. Yeah. And that's, that's becoming more and more of a major issue. And if you really get down to the root of those types of things, what it boils down to is a lot of times people, people use that. I've just not been felt. I've just not felt convicted as a cop out, but when you really get down to like the root of it and the heart of the matter, a lot of times it interferes with things they want to do. It interferes with self self decisions and, and things that we like and we enjoy. And whenever you get into that kind of territory, then all of a sudden it's, well, we have, you know, I've not felt convicted about it. it. I just don't feel bad about it. And so I, I'm going to do it. And that's where you run into the seared conscience, right? When we reach a place where the word of God tells us something and we really don't care. And we say, well, I've just not, felt convicted of that. I'm I'm still doing it even though the word of God does say that. I'm still going to do it this way. That and 1 Timothy 4:2 Paul talks about those having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And and it's the seared conscience is a dangerous thing. Yeah. Uh, there are places in God's word where he talks about people who are past feeling. Mm-hmm. When you reach a place where you don't feel and you don't well, I just don't feel convicted about that, but it's in God's word, but but you're, you, it doesn't bother you. That's a dangerous place to be. Yeah. But we find people in our 21st century Western churches, we find people who, even though things are in the word of God, well, it just doesn't bother me. And mm-hmm. I, I, we want to build our morality based on what makes sense to us, you know, what fits with us. Yeah. And, you can't do that. Mm-mm. The again, the moral law, and and the reason we're dealing with this is because we we got here by stepping into the moral law as a, an argument for God's existence, and and we just wanted to kind of deal with some things further about the moral law before we move on. And it's it doesn't go far enough. Yeah, it, it's a pointer. It points toward a moral lawgiver, but it's not his fullest revelation. His fullest right. revelation is contained in his word. I'll never forget a conversation I had one time with an individual. We were talking about a particular issue, and they got a little agitated because it was hitting close to home for them. They asked me about my position on the issue, and mm. I said, well, the reason I feel the way I do is they're like, can you show me out of the Scripture, you know, why you believe that way? Yeah, I said, well, the reason I hold the position I do is because of this. And I gave him a couple of verses, you know, just kind of why I felt the way I did. And they got a little agitated and they said, and the statement, I'll, I'll never forget the statement. They said, I don't care if you show me a hundred verses out of the Bible that say that I'll never believe that way. Again, it was, it was an emotional response. It hit close to home. They were agitated in the moment when they made that statement. Sure. But if that's our heart attitude, I don't care if I, there's a hundred verses in the Bible that say that I'll never believe that way. 
I'm going to believe what I want to believe, what makes sense to me, what fits in my life, in my world, how I see things and want to see them. That's not how we're intended to follow God's morality, Christian morality. Christian morality, you can't help it. You, you just can't avoid it. There's a revelatory aspect about it. It includes revelation from God. Yeah. Not just the natural revelation that he's written this in our hearts and we intuitively know some things. But Christian morality goes above and beyond that and includes the special teachings in the Bible. Right. And the danger of overriding that and the danger of developing that mentality of I don't care if you show me a hundred verses, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna believe it is again goes back to what you said earlier. You're you're playing with your conscience now. You're moving out of, okay, the, the Lord is dealing with me about this, because really that's what it is. You get down to it, and again, I don't I don't necessarily think that every time conviction has to be a guilty feeling that you get about a certain thing. Like you said, if it's in the word of God, we we've got to abide by it, but you're getting to the place where it doesn't matter if the Lord's dealing with me about it. I'm going to push that aside and and continue in the direction that I'm going, continue doing what I want to do, continue living how I want to live. And the danger of that is Paul said is now you're getting to the place where you're, you're starting to cut your conscience off from that still small voice that wants to talk to it. Right. As a Christian, I don't ever want to just assume that, you know, Whatever I intuitively think, that's that's far enough. It's all the farther I'm going. Conviction is just when I feel certain ways about issues. No. The Holy Ghost convicts me when I read His Word. He convicts me when my pastor preaches to me. He convicts me when the Sunday school teacher gets up and begins to open up God's Word. And I don't, I don't ever want to forget as I sit on the church pew and listen and take in the Word of God, as in the morning I sit in the recliner and read God's Word, I don't ever want to forget that He's convicting me. He's showing me how He wants me to live. It's not up to me to do, you know, to make my own way and do what's right in my own eyes, but I want to embrace His Word and how he showed us in his word that he wants us to live. If you'd like to email us, reach out to us. You can do that at askthecrossroads at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us today. We'll hope to see you next time.